You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron here in the Caldwell Banker Group One Realty Studio in West Monroe, alongside from the Washita Citizen, Jake Martin. How are you doing this morning, Jake Martin? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, kind of felt like you probably feel like uh, last night. I was listening to a podcast. Whoa! While I watched a game on a computer. Wow! So I thought this is what Jake does. What podcast you listen to? Well, that one you sent me. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Ed Orgeron one. Yeah. Barstool uh, Sports. Uh, didn't like those guys. Didn't do much for me. The whole podcast, yeah, or they were a little bit too salty, too vulgar for me. Yeah, uh, I'm not a huge fan of those guys, but I thought the interview with Ed Orgeron was pretty funny. Those are the guys that got fired right after one. <laughs> they were gonna have, uh, that was like a week. They were going to have a show on ESPN, and I think they had one episode. <laughs> ESPN had no idea what they were getting yeah. into. And those yeah. are the guys that uh, had some disparaging marks for Sam Ponder, correct? Yes. And she blasted back yes. at him. Yeah. Yes, yes. I know they were. Yes. <laughs> and then Orgeron, I just anticipated more. It's a lot of the same stories I've heard before, man. Yeah, but it's just funny, him and, interacting with those guys. And those, those not guys. Like, not like real journalists, those guys. Yeah, That's those, what I, those guys were literally just drooling all over Orgeron. I know. They, they're not real journalists. Yeah, but just it, drooling. It was funny to see Orgeron in that environment. <laughs> like they had a man crush on O. Yeah, oh, they certainly did. Anyway. But then, of course, uh, checking out uh, the SEC network on uh, the computer and watching a little uh, LSU baseball. It was really a good night with that and, of course, the NBA. It was a great night. How many times have we said that in the last <laughs> Not, uh, three weeks? I've been – all week I've been down. I've been I've been very disappointed in the NBA for, for the games. The, before last night, the average margin of victory for both finals was 22. Yeah. So you can see why a lot of people were getting a little restless here going, come on, give us a good game. And that's what we got last night. And on top of that, you mentioned LSU. That was another great game between LSU and Mississippi State, which it was a Tuesday night and it felt like Saturday. I mean, that atmosphere was rocking. Yeah, it's pretty good. Which one do you want to tackle first? Uh, you can weigh in on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash text line. Call Stuart at 548 7474 See how the power of choice can help you save on money and home auto insurance. That number, of course, to reach us is 888-993-7762. What stood out the most to you? I think we got to probably start with the NBA and the fact uh, the Rockets win 95-92, and now we have a series as the Rockets go in there and knock off the Warriors. Uh, thrilling game. Ultimately, though, the Golden State, in the fourth quarter, they run out of gas. It was shocking. It, it, you said it. 12 were, points for that offense. The they, they, they were three for 18 shooting in that fourth quarter. But, you know, watching that game, and, and I was flipping back and forth last night. In the third quarter, when the Warriors go on their – what they do, they go off in the third quarter, and usually that's the ball game, Okay. Steph is shimmying his way up the court. You know, the, the Warriors are feeling themselves. You're like, okay, well, this one's over. Mm-hmm. Somehow, some way, and I think the run was 19-4 to four in the fourth quarter. Somehow, some way, the Rockets came back. And CP3 has been tremendous. There's been a lot of questions this week about, is, is CP3 good enough to be your second best player? And he answered that last night. Chris Paul with 27 points last night. He was a 10 of 12 from the field. Of course, Harden leading the way with 30. And that being CB3 at this stage of his career. And, you know, he's looking for a big contract, man. He might have secured it last night because he was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of different things I want to go. Let's first start with that last possession. All right. Should they have called timeout? They were down 94 to 92. It was less than 12 seconds to go. Should they have called timeout immediately? What do you think? Uh, I was listening to Steve Kerr's uh, post-game press conference last night, and he, he liked the fact that he likes to put the defense, of course, in a bad spot, not calling a timeout going down. But within about four seconds to go, Draymond Green was trying to call a timeout. Kerr was trying to call a timeout. Of course, he wasn't near official, or they weren't paying attention to him at the time. Uh, I don't know. You could debate it as much as you want. If it goes down and he scores, people are like, oh, good call. They had the Rockets on their heels. Yeah, and, and Kerr said, 
I'm always a proponent of pushing the ball off of a miss rather than taking a timeout, letting the defense get set up. So I thought we'd get a better shot in transition. That's why I let them play. Mm. And I, I have no faults with that. I actually thought that was smart to not call timeout in that instance. Then when Clay gets trapped in the corner like that, you hope you can get that timeout, and they just weren't able to get it. Um, I would uh, make the argument the more that it looked like Ariza was mugging him. He, it did. It would take some guts to make that call, though, in that moment. Absolutely, and I'm glad they didn't. But my next question is, why did Durant give it up? Durant had the ball, and they gave it up in the corner to Clay, and then Clay was just swallowed up by Ariza. I would have, I would have liked to have seen Kevin Durant or or, or Steph take that shot. Um, and, and going back all the way to the first quarter. There were some there were some instances where the Warriors were playing ISO ball, and I didn't understand it. And they weren't moving the ball like they normally do. And then the third quarter came, and they kind of got back to what they what they do. What I'm, they scored thirty four points in the third quarter, outscored the Rockets thirty four to seventeen in that third. And then the fourth quarter, of course, that's when it started to uh, fall to pieces for Golden State, and they could only muster twelve total points. What I'm trying to say is, this team is so inconsistent. Like, they they take quarters off, and sometimes after a win, it feels like they take a game off. And that can be frustrating because when the Warriors play at their best, and I will give the Rockets credit, you know, they, they battled back. Uh, they played really good defense in that fourth quarter, something we really hadn't seen all series from them. Credit to them. Uh, but also, I think fatigue played a factor. They looked tired. The Warriors did. I, they shortened their bench. And, you know, by the time the fourth quarter came, it was like, man, we exhausted all of our resources in the third quarter. It looked like they didn't save anything for the fourth quarter. That said, I still have that feeling of this team just sometimes turns it on and turns it off. And it's like it can't get out of that bad habit that it developed during the season. We saw this all regular season. We figured, well, when the postseason comes, they're going to turn it on. It's going to stay on. They're going to dominate everyone. And I know the Rockets are a really good team, but I still like the Warriors, and I still thought the Warriors were going to win that game last night just because it was at home and you saw that third quarter flurry. But Why did the Warriors get the pass? We talked about the fact that they run out of gas, but they play nine guys and the Rockets only played seven. And you look at the minutes and they're very comparable the, the star players. Both, yeah. yeah, both really did shorten up the the bench. Like, both had their stars out there more than often. I mean, Green only played 12 minutes for the Rockets, and uh, Eric Gordon had 35 minutes, but they literally went with seven guys yeah. for the entire game. I, I'm not giving them a pass. I'm saying, why, why were they fatigued? Mm. I'm saying, we're, we're not used to seeing them be fatigued like that. I'm definitely not giving them a pass for that. I'm just pointing out that they looked really tired in that fourth quarter. The Rockets didn't. Uh, so that's the excuse for Dramond Green and why he uh, got the, you know. No, no, that was earlier in the yeah, game. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> James Harden put him on a post. Was that one of the best dunks that we've seen in quite some time? It was the best of this playoffs for sure. Best of this playoffs for sure. I mean, that was James Harden. I think he had like, what, 24 points in the first half. He went off. And that was what he needed to do. I don't know if you caught the, the beginning of the game, but he passed up a wide open yeah. shot. You saw that? Yeah. Reggie Miller and Chris Webber lamented on that for minutes, just going, you got to shoot that if you're wide open. Yeah. They need you to take 26-plus shots in this game. And sure enough, he heated up. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was funny how much they talked about that. Well, at least we got a series now, right? I'm glad we got a series. I'm glad we got a competitive game for once. Yeah. Um, it is shocking that, that the Warriors dropped that game. But, you know, we'll see how they rebound. And I thought – the Rockets definitely needed to win that one to, to make this a series. Now, in Game 5, I think we can have some, some good debates back and forth as to who's going to win this game because I still feel – I think most people still feel the Warriors are the better team, but now the Houston's at home. They've got to be feeling that momentum. That said, the Warriors usually, after a bad performance, show up and show out. Uh, we saw that firsthand with the Pelicans after um, you know they were – dominated it in New Orleans, and they came out in game four and dominated the Pels. So hopefully now uh, the Celtics and, the, of course, uh, the Cavs can follow in the sneakers of this, of this game and put together a good game tonight, at least a competitive game. Yeah, I hope so. We'll see. Um, but, you know, got to prove it on the floor. All right, so. While that was taking place, uh, high drama there in uh, Hoover, Alabama, 
as LSU once again gets the best of Mississippi State. What I think it's eight of the last nine, maybe ten of the last eleven LSU has won against Mississippi State. Yeah, it, it was it was a great game. It was a game where LSU seemed lifeless in the very beginning. Nick Bush was hanging on by a thread. Yeah, <laughs> he was stranded several runners, uh, and then the third inning. Mississippi State finally broke through, started scoring some runs. And then you bring in Zach Hess, and it isn't exactly like he had his great stuff last night. No, he did not. Uh, and that's that's when it, it really felt lifeless. LSU was down by – LSU was down 3 nothing. Zach Hess didn't have his stuff. He was walking batters. Uh, bases were loaded. He got out of that jam. And then all of a sudden things started to click. Zach Watson actually got him on the board first with that sacrifice fly. Mm-hmm. But a couple things I point to for LSU winning this game. First, first of all, Mississippi State did not have timely hitting. I think they stranded 13 or 14 base runners. And a lot of that happened early in the ball game. Yeah. Uh, secondly, Todd Peterson was great in relief. Wow. When he came in, he was really good. Uh, how Hughes play at shortstop. How much confidence did you have in Peterson when he came in? I don't have a whole lot of confidence in any of anybody coming out of that bullpen, but you know, I uh, they're all capable. It's just they seem to be head cases yeah. sometimes. You don't know what you're getting. That's why I'm never like, oh yeah, he's gonna shut him. Now, it's not like last Does year. Peterson ever make it to the gym? Does he work out? Oh stop! It's not like last year when you brought Lang out and you're like, oh yeah, he's about to shut them down. Yeah. But uh, how how um, Hughes play it short? Yeah. We're talking about a freshman here. That was tremendous. That was so they a, called a, a fastball, and Peterson waves him off and goes with the breaking ball. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it almost hurt him. Uh, shot up the middle. Looks like it's going to be a single, and LSU's in deep trouble. But Hughes comes out of nowhere, scoops it up, fires it over to first. They're out of the jam. It was beautiful. Yeah, that was the play of the game. And then Antoine Duplantis had some clutch hitting. Uh, and they ultimately won 8-5. to five. I thought it was a, a great game. LSU showed a lot of grit. They needed to win that game. Now I think they're in. I don't think there's any question now. I think they are in. You know, you, you're already looking at the, the blind resume of this LSU team. They had 12 wins against top 50 clubs, and that was more than double uh, of um, – I, I can't remember the other two um, opponents they put. They did a blind resume during the broadcast is what I'm trying to get to. Mm. And uh, they, were, they did it with LSU, one that was projected to be in and one that was projected to be out. And LSU's resume was far more impressive. So that, you know, seeing that, I was kind of like, well, maybe they could lose and still get in. And then with this win now, I think they're for sure in. How about Jake Slaughter uh, stepping up to the plate? Bases loaded. And then, of course, uh, gets an 0-2 count on him. I think it was a ball. And then, of course, uh, getting hit in the head or his shoulder. And uh, big at bat, of course, for uh, driving in a run. Mm -hmm. Ben says, I can't stand LSU, but Peterson is electric. 94 to 96 with a hammer breaking ball out of the pin. Uh, draft pick. Uh, and now, of course, it sets up a huge matchup today against top ranked Florida. And, of course, you go with the freshman on the Mount Hilliard. Yeah, that's what's fun. Uh, the guy who has been the most reliable for LSU all season long, Mikel Hilliard, against undeniably the number one team in college baseball. So, this should be fun. Scheduled to start around 4.30. But <laughs> as we you? saw yesterday, a little bit of a rain delay, a game in front of it going extra innings. What uh, baffled me the most was we were watching LSU, and, of course, it stretches it ended, what, around 10 o'clock or so. Then you realize there's another game to follow. Yeah, that game got started, what, 10.30-ish, somewhere around there. So I didn't stay up to, to catch the end of that one. Of course, we got plenty on uh, Louisiana Tech versus Rice, that game today at 12.30. So quite frankly – this is a pretty good sports this day is, for TV watching. This is a great day. You yeah. got Tech Rice at twelve thirty, LSU at four thirty, and then Cavs Celtics tonight at seven thirty. It's all part of the starting lineup. Brought to you by Louisiana Painter. The starting lineup. Are you crying? The starting lineup. Are you crying? Starting lineup. Are you crying? The starting lineup. There's no crying. Let's get to the starting lineup. Dr. Saul Graves will join us at 7.30, coming up at 8 o'clock, a recap of ULM's baseball season and where this program goes from here. Michael Federico, the Warhawks head coach, will join us at 8 o'clock. Got some uh, sound from the Diamond Dogs as they get ready for this showdown with the Owls. Plus, I'm sure we'll talk some more NBA. Alvin Gentry on the future of 
Boogie in New Orleans and what they need to do to make sure next year they're playing either the Rockets or the Warriors. And we're still looking for top ten Thursday topics. Right now we've only got one, which is top LSU players in honor of Billy Cannon. If you got a better one, hit us up, 888-993-7762. The Morning Drive on Sports Talk 97.7 returns after this. All right, Jake, we got a number of checks. You want to get to them real quick? Yes, indeed. Ben says, does Durant get a pass for wanting no part of the shot on the next to last possession? Biggest game of the year, and he goes 9 for 24. It's uh, a good question. It is a good question. Certainly if LeBron would have done that. Oh, man. Skip Bayless <laughs> is the world. Another heyday. Yeah, that's right. People would have been all over LeBron for that. How about Golden State? 9 of 27 from three-point range. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quint says, if Iggy comes back, talk about Iguodala, this series is over. His absence started to trickle down of problems for the Warriors. These problems included key players in foul trouble early and running out of gas at the end. And he also disagrees. Uh, he says that the uh, the Harden dunk was not the dunk of the season. He says, Phantom of the Opera over the Celtic Center with his man bun was the best dunk of the postseason. Would Houston-Boston be the worst NBA Finals ever? Ever? Certainly we can find something worse than that. And you got the name value of Boston. Say what you will, but it's still the name value of Boston. Houston still has James Harden, the MVP. It's still going to be Golden State and, of course, LeBron. Oh, that's, really? That's what the Dude, association Dude, I still wants. think it's Golden State, but I'm not so certain it's it's LeBron. Mm. I, I think Boston will play better at home, but we'll find out tonight. Game six, game seven is going to be a critical call. Tonight decides who wins that series. Mm. Whoever wins tonight is coming out of the East. Mm. Uh, we look forward to some more college baseball. I mentioned the fact we got LSU versus Florida, Louisiana Tech versus Rice at 12.30. Of course, you can hear that game right here on Sports Talk 97.7. Pre-game coverage starts at 12.15. Had some postseason honors uh, yesterday. How about the fact that eight Bulldogs recognized for uh, all-conference awards? You have uh, Hunter Wells, Logan Bailey were all-conference first-team selections. Uh, Parker Bates, David Leal, Logan Robbins were named all-conference USA second team. Steele Netterville and Taylor Young were named to the all-freshman team. And, of course, uh, big props for Louisiana Tech's pitching coach Corey Barton was recognized as the league's assistant coach of the year. Well deserved. Uh, we follow that up with, and we didn't even mention the fact for the first time in a decade, LSU did not have a player selected on the first or second teams in the SEC. Yeah, um, it was Zach Watson was recognized as a defensive. defensive. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was. But but honestly, the SEC was so deep this year. LSU had a down season. Can you be that surprised by it? Mm. No, but it's still a little surprising. Sure. You go, uh, it's Talk about a historic program, yeah. Uh, you want your Astros update? You got it? I, I have uh, it as well. <laughs> you do? Yeah. All right, let me hear your Astros update first. Okay. See if I can add more to it. Astros won 11-2 last night. That's what I got, too. Okay, good. <laughs> We're off to a good start. Uh, Garrett Cole was great yet again, but he gave up a home run to his brother-in-law, Brandon Crawford. Nice. Yeah. How about that? I didn't have that. Take that for data. I did have the Astros banging out 13 hits. Oh, good. Yes. That's really good. Do you have the record? No, but that's because I know you do. They're 31-18 and 18 now on the season. They're playing pretty good ball right now. Yeah. That is the Astros update you come to depend on from the morning drive. <laughs> that's right. Uh, other headlines, and I know you were all on top of this, uh, the fact that the UFC and the ESPN are now in cahoots. They are. They were already in cahoots because they announced that ESPN Plus deal where they were going to get 15 fights in 2019. Well, now it looks like ESPN is doubling down on that. They're going to get 30 fights, and 15 of those are going to be on network television. Uh, meaning ESPN, one of the one of the broadcast networks, meaning ESPN, ESPN, two, or or whatever. Now this is interesting because this moves them away from Fox, and we just talked about yesterday how Fox went with SmackDown WWE. So Fox pretty much swapped UFC for WWE, and now we're going to be seeing 
fights on ESPN, which is going to be so weird. So let's break down that business model. <laughs> is that the option you would take, the route you would go? You would take the uh, SmackDown over UFC? Probably. Wow. Yeah, probably because, honestly, when you're doing network deals with the UFC, they're going to they're gonna save their biggest fights for pay-per-view. They're going to still put on some good fights on free TV. Mm-hmm. Like, there are a lot of good – like, this Sunday, they got a matchup between Stephen Thompson and Darren Till, which hardcore fans are just salivating over this fight because that's two of the best strikers in the world fighting. But how many people know those two names? Like, that's not going to draw. You know what I'm saying? So that's a perfect network television fight. It's not one that pay-per-view the people are going to necessarily be ponying up for. The hardcore fans will, but the casuals won't. So that's why I would rather, I guess, be in bed with WWE because they can put on a show every every time. And, you know, they, they give you free matches. They give you the, the storylines. It's more than just the fights. Mm. So and, and plus, they've already got... You know, they've already got a pretty... Uh, I don't know if that's a sound argument for your UFC as they move, move forward. What do you mean? Well, the, the SmackDown is more of a attractive well, I mean, product right now than UFC. fun of professional wrestling, but it does have a big fan base. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it does draw numbers. It draws better ratings than the UFC. You want to compare the numbers... WWE, which is on every single week, mm-hmm. and I know UFC's kind of getting that way to where it's almost every single week, they they draw better numbers. So it, it makes sense. I mean, you want more ratings. You want more dependable, uh, quote-unquote, cards, match cards, fight cards, whatever you want to call it. You're going to get that from WWE. UFC's going to save their best stuff for pay-per-view. OTAs continue across the NFL, and while the big storyline remains that, of course, Tom Brady – not participating with the Patriots, do we make anything of it? I like the storyline with Danny Etling, of course, with New England. And uh, you understand this is pretty bad when they're breaking down Danny Etling at OTAs. Uh, he went four for seven uh, during their seven-on-seven drills. But the biggest news from Danny Etling. Why are we The biggest news that? from Danny Etling taking over for Tom Brady uh-huh. of the Patriots. He got his jersey, or a temporary jersey, hopefully. Yeah, what was the number? 58. <laughs> uh, you know what's, you if, know what's if the Danny worst? Ha- if Danny Etling hasn't been humbled in the past by LSU's oh, offense, God. then he certainly was when he walks into the Patriots in here. Here's your number. You know kid. what's the worst? You got 58. The, what the worst is when you walk into the studio and you hear Aaron giggling like a schoolgirl. You, what you would Danny not Etling giggle. Got. I think that's comical. There's a picture of. Hoyer and Etling, and Etling's there in his 58 jersey. It's a funny picture, but it's not worth, you know, Well, he could just use that as more motivation and a chip on his shoulder as he marches. Yeah, yeah. We always talk about Tom Brady and how he was passed over. And, of course, they do that documentary on uh, what was it, how many quarterbacks went in front of him? Oh, Lord, I can't remember. 29, whatever it was. Yeah. And and now, you know, Etling can say, when I walked in there, they gave me 58. And look at me now. Uh, they said it's just temporary. They're going to get Etling a real number. Yeah, eventually. he's the future, man. Or or like Wingo asked when he got drafted, so do you think they're thinking about moving Etling to a different position? Who asked that? Wingo. Oh, I thought you said Ringo talking no, about me. No, I was like, Wingo asked. Yeah. Trey Ringo asked that because they just got done bashing LSU Offensive in the line, offense. Man. Like, well, they didn't have quarterback play. Oh, now picked in the seventh round by the Patriots, Danny Etling. Huh? Uh-huh. He's trying out for the offensive line. That's why they gave him 58. <laughs> anyway, I got one more little tidbit. Uh, Athlon Sports came out with their all-SEC team, and Rashard Lawrence getting no love. Yeah. Third string. Third mm. team, I should say. Um, now, I guess you could look at that and, and still think, oh, that's p- pretty nice you know, recognition for him. But I think we all expect way more than just third team all SEC from Richard this year. If he well, can stay healthy. Well, when you're in the tub, you can't make the preseason club, right? That's true. Yeah, Got to stay healthy. But if he's healthy, I mean, he should be one of the best linemen in the SEC. I like Richard's odds of being higher than third team next year in the SEC. Exactly. Uh, got a number of texts here. Jay from uh, Rustin says WWE is far 
the bigger money maker. Haven't watched since I was a kid, but I know they they know exactly what they're doing. Sure, it's it's a smart move for Fox. I think it's an interesting move for ESPN. My question is, with this move, does Colin Cowherd now stop pretending to like the UFC? Does that come soon? Or? <laughs> Can't wait for that to happen. 888-993-7762. It's the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash text line. Coming up next, uh, Dr. Saul Graves joins us for his bi-weekly visit. It's time for the Morning Drive's weekly visit with the sports medicine doctors at North Louisiana Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Clinic. Welcome back to the Morning Drive. Aaron and Jake hanging out here in the Caldwell Banker Group 1 Realty Studio in West Monroe. I'm running at about 33% today, so uh, Jake is carrying us. Thank you, Jake. What's new? Yeah, I know. Dr. Saul Graves always is ready to carry us when he appears bi-monthly on the show. He joins us on the Stuart Shelby uh, Goosehead Insurance text line hotline. Saul, how you doing this morning, bud? Hey, I'm doing great, Aaron. Good morning. Uh, besides Jake, I'd say you're one of the biggest uh, LSU fans we know. So you got to be fired up this morning on how the Tigers played last night versus Mississippi State. Oh man, it was a great game. It was, uh, you know, it's their their time of the year and and uh, tournament play and and you know with their backs against the wall, they they uh, came out swinging and and, uh, and and took it to Mississippi State once again. Enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> So what do you think the chances uh, against the likes of uh, Florida with the freshman hill you're going today? Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think if it was the College World Series, I, I, would, I would think their chances were, were less. I think the fact that it's an SEC tournament, that Florida's a little bit banged up, they, they know, you know, where they stand as far as the national seed. I think it definitely gives LSU a little bit better chance, in my opinion. And, and of course, Hilliard has been pitching so well. Um, I like their chances of him on the mound as well. So, I mean, it, I think I saw a stat yesterday that that uh, Maneri's only lost six games in, in uh, maybe since 2009 or 10 since he's been the head coach, however long that's been, which has been a pretty incredible uh, stat considering I think he's won over, won over 30 at the SEC tournament. So you got to feel pretty good about their chances. Hey, Saul, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. So earlier this week, we had the conversation of who would be on LSU's Mount Rushmore because we were discussing the passing of Billy Cannon and how I think we could all agree he definitely deserves a spot on that Mount Rushmore. I know I'm asking you to, to come up with it on the spot here, but who would you put around Billy Cannon? Who would be on your LSU Mount Rushmore in terms of football players? So this is just, just football. Well, I think, um, you know, obviously Billy, Billy Cannon for sure, as you mentioned, I think – Jerry Stovall would be would be another one. You know, he's a guy that's, that's uh, um, got his uh, jersey retired. Uh, uh, Burt Jones is, is another guy I think that that um, that I that I definitely put up there. And then of course some some guys that have been around. You know, that have more recent players. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Kevin Falk would be one that I would that I would put up there. I mean, as far as what he meant to LSU football, and, and certainly had a had a great, uh, great career. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of some, some other ones. Um, yeah, I think in terms of, of what he was as a college football player, you know, unfortunately his, he, he uh, passed away before we had a chance to do a lot in, in the NFL. I think Eric Andelsack is a guy that, that I would put up there as far as what he meant to LSU football during the time that he was there, uh, uh in the eighties. I think that's, um, you know that's another one. And shoot, there's a, there's, I'm sure there's a ton more, but uh, those guys right there are, are, are a few that I think have um, have really meant a tremendous amount to to the success of LSU football. Saul, so, did you ever have a chance to meet Billy Cannon or be around him? I did. You know, he, he um, my father who who played at LSU um, yeah. actually just missed Billy Cannon. He came the year after Billy Cannon left, but. Um, kind of an interesting thing that they both played in the NFL at the same time and both of them uh, went to dental school at the same time and, and they actually went to the University of Tennessee because that was the only school where you could go on a quarter system so they would actually play football NFL football in the fall and then he and Billy Cannon were in the same class um, in the spring uh, in, in dental school so so my dad always knew him well and so I would get to meet him uh, oftentimes with, with my father and then my father-in-law, um, 
grew up with Billy Cannon and, and, and was actually one of his closest friends. And, and really, during the last you know year or so, they have have, have really done a lot together. And, and um, so, um, you know, just just uh, you know, obviously uh, uh, meant a lot to, to to LSU in terms of what he did. But um, you know, I kind of got to know the other side of him through through my father-in-law especially and and um you know just uh just a tremendous man and, and of course he went through a lot of a lot of adversity and hard times and, and had to pull himself back up after after having to go you know to prison for a little while and so that uh you know just it just you know makes the story of billy can in my mind even that much better good stuff i promise i got a medical question for you uh, coming up but i wanted to ask you i know you've been all in with uh, lsu bringing in ohio state transfer joe burrow now that it's official, uh, how much fun is this going to see how this thing plays out? I think it's, I think you can do nothing but make your team better. And I think the competition is going to be great. And, um, uh, you know, I actually saw an article that Glenn Gilbo read. I, I didn't see the paper today, so it may actually be yeah. in the paper today. But he wrote an article about, um, about Little League parents, which, is, which I think is a great article about, you know, how, how it seems that in today's society uh, people – are always, you know, thinking that that their their son or daughter deserves deserves more than what they're getting, and, and they're trying to find an easy way out. And, and he wrote it in reference to um, 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 Brennan's um, father, and in the statements he made about about him staying and competing. And, and to me, when you bring in a guy that's a good quarterback, uh, and, and in my opinion, you've got some other, you know, pretty good quarterbacks there as well. Uh, competition's only going to make them all better. And um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if any of them do leave uh, or if they if they all stay. And, and you know, I think whether or not you brought Burrow in uh, or not, you were still at risk of losing one of those guys. And and so, I think you just made your team better. Whether he starts or, or whether or whether one of those other guys starts, I think that it's going to make um, competition. In my opinion, makes makes players better. And and I think that's what you're going to have. Postseason baseball continues for LSU, of course, squaring off against Florida later today. The Tigers will continue to do it without a star shortstop. Josh Smith now ruled out for this season with that stress reaction, something we've talked about numerous times, uh, Saul. But what does this mean for his future now, putting this injury behind him? Is it just come down to him getting uh, more rest? Well, yeah, I think the good news around all this is the fact that, that he did have uh, another MRI at some point in the last few weeks that, at least according to, to Maneri, uh, did not show any further structural damage. And, in fact, it appeared that the stress reaction that he had looked okay. And, and, and so the, you know, the quotes that, that, that uh, I'm hearing and that all of us are hearing is that it's really just a muscular issue. And uh, he's trying to work on his core strength and, and you know, obviously strengthen his back as well. And I think if that's truly the case, then I wouldn't expect any long-term you know, problems from this. You know, I guess the frustrating part about all this is, is you know, I'm sure in, in his mind and probably in others, you know, maybe when he came back for that Ole Miss series, you know, maybe that was too early for him to do that. And, and you know, if he had just waited a little longer, you know, he might be out there playing right now. And of course, you, you know, you obviously can't go back. And and at the time, he, he felt well, and, and I think it was a swing and miss, you know, basically swing that. that uh, that that hurt him and and and, and set him back. So I, I would not anticipate it giving him long term problems. He may, in my opinion, it might be better for him to, to sit out a, a summer baseball this summer. I'm not sure if that's what their plans are, but I would expect him to be back without any long term problems from that. Seattle's D. Gordon leads the American League with 16 stolen bases, but he goes down with a fractured toe. How do you go about rehabbing a, a fractured toe or protecting a fractured toe? Yeah, well, I think it all depends on which toe is fractured, and, and it looks like in his case it's his, it's his big toe, it's, you know, his first toe, and, and that's that's the most important of, of all of them, especially when you're when you're running and, and trying to push off. And, and it sounds like it, it's maybe kind of a, a reoccurrence of something that occurred uh, maybe a few weeks ago, and and um, obviously now the, the way they're going to go about rehabbing is just putting getting some rest, you know, putting him. Um, um, on the sideline for a little while, and that's really the, the thing that you have to do. It's very rare that you have to operate on a fractured toe occasionally, especially when it's a big toe. If it's if it's fractured uh, significantly and displaced, we, you might have to put a plate on it. But in this case, it sounds like that's not what's going on. And so it's just a matter of just giving it time and letting it heal. And in most cases, it takes about six weeks for a fracture to heal completely. 
So he's already a little you know, along from his injury. So hopefully, you know, in a few weeks, he might be able to be back. Diamondback Steven Sousa, right pec muscle strain. He was throwing it in from the outfield. Unusual for a pec strain from a throw. Yeah, and but this is actually a re-aggravation of the injury as well that, that occurred a, a few weeks ago. I believe he was diving for a ball in the outfield. And um, and when he did, you know, he got his arm, I think, in, in sort of an abducted position, which which uh, are away from his body, which put a lot of stress. And, and apparently, the pec muscle at that time was injured more towards the the, the tenderness insertion on the arm. Uh, had some pain, but was able to come back and then and then re-aggravated it again um, yesterday. Although I, although I did see a quote from him that uh, he felt like this one was more in the muscle itself as opposed to towards the tendon, and and, and maybe that gives it a little bit. Um, a better chance of, of healing uh, quicker. Robinson Cano, of course, the big news, uh, the 80-game suspension for uh, using a masking agent. So how do test administrators and leagues typically, how are they able to see through these masking drugs? Yeah, we know, of course, that's why they're taking those masking drugs, is to try to fool the, the, the test administrators. And, um, you know, ferrosamide, which is what he, he used, is, is a diuretic and, um, of course, not something that we prescribe very often in orthopedics, but it is something that's used a lot. Uh, diuretics are just in, in general medical terms. You know, it, and it, what it does is it increases your urine output. And so as a result, you're attempting, attempting to dilute uh, whatever um, you know, bad substance that you're taking. And, um, and so, you know, I, it, it apparently, you know, obviously it's a, it's, a, it's a prescription medication that's not banned. And, and so it's... It, if you can show calls that that you need it for a, for a medical issue such as high blood pressure, then then it's okay. And, and I think he had a prescription from a doctor in Puerto Rico, but apparently after they went through that and investigated it, they realized they, they felt like that that you know it wasn't medically necessary for him, and that it was obvious that he was using it uh, to mask you know something else that he was taking. Zal, if uh, listeners out there need your assistance or your colleagues, where can they find you guys? Well, we've got our main office on um, in Louisville and Monroe, and we have our two satellite locations in West Monroe and also in Ruston. Uh, we have a daily injury clinic that occurs at about 10 o'clock each weekday, weekday morning and um, uh, after-hours clinics that uh, begin around 5 o'clock in the afternoon and run to 8. Uh, and the after-hours clinic is also open on the weekend on Saturday mornings from 8 to 11. As always, Saul, we appreciate the time, bud. We'll see you soon. All right, guys, appreciate you having me on again. Thank you so much. Good stuff from Dr. Saul Graves. Always good stuff from Saul Graves. I'm interested in, um, you know, he, he brought up his Mount Rushmore. It looks like we are doing the top 10 LSU players. I'm interested in tomorrow because we can discuss the top 10 LSU players and we can get into that Louisiana Tech list, which is going to be a really cool thing mm-hmm. that they're that Tech's doing this summer. Recognizing the 50 best players, of course, that played at uh, the Joe and, of course, to help us kind of navigate our way through this and, of course, uh, encourage you to vote on it. Uh, Malcolm Butler and Keith Prince will both join us tomorrow so around uh, 8.15 or so. Tomorrow is the day for talk radio. I mean, those are fun. When we're always talking about lists and trying to compare past greats, that's what talk radio is all about. 888-993-7762. Let's take a timeout. Coming up next, we'll continue to talk a little uh, NBA postseason, college baseball, and we always look forward to catching up with Michael Federico, ULM's head coach, will join us at 8 o'clock. That was a good night last night, Jake, uh, going back and forth between the Western Conference Finals and, of course, uh, college baseball. You mentioned, and they mentioned it a couple times on the broadcast, how last night was a Tuesday night game, but it really had that feel of the weekend and, of course, of a regional. Oh, it certainly did. I mean, Mississippi State and LSU fans showed up. So it was a nice back and forth, and then – Keep going back to that Hal Hughes play. When he made that play, the crowd was going yeah. nuts. So if you're a Mississippi State fan, man, you just got to feel like, man, they've got our number at this point. Yeah, um, because LSU looked dead, dead in the water, especially early on in that game. I it was kind of, I even texted you. I was like, man, it's kind of sad watching LSU. Like, mm-hmm. just no life, life to them. And then, you know, the broadcast kept pointing it out that LSU was second only behind Arkansas in comeback victories this past season in the SEC. 17 of their 31 victories have been from come combined fashion. So, you know, of course that's a broadcast employee to, hey, stay stay hooked, uh, keep watching. But uh, 
yeah, it it was it, it turned out that way with the way that um, the bats kind of started to to click a little bit, and then um, once you got to Devin Fontenot and, and and Todd Peterson came in and shut him down, it it was just a it was it was a change, and you could feel that this LSU team was fighting. I think it was the first time they really felt like grown men. For a lot of the season, they kind of felt young, just because there was a lot of young players that were thrust in these these spots. I mean, who would have ever predicted that Austin Bain would have been the, their best hitter or one of their best hitters? You know what I mean? And so it's kind of crazy to see this team actually finally putting together something that could result in a run. I'm not saying they're going to get past Florida today, but you know they got to be feeling better about themselves today than they were yesterday. So maybe they do go on one of those patented LSU runs. It's always something in the air this time of year where LSU, whether they have the, the players or not, they seem to be able to Put something together. Yeah, Palmineri's record there at Hoover is pretty incredible. Uh, there's a couple different points where it certainly looked like LSU was on the ropes and they're down three to nothing, and then they're still clinging to that six to four lead. But Jake Magnum is at the plate, and you're thinking worst case scenario. I mean, this kid is going to get a single. I mean, you're thinking double, triple, even maybe a home run. And of course, he, he rips a single, drives in a run. It's six to five at that point. Not looking good for LSU considering. I think they just rattled off three straight singles to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the big stop. And, of course, hell, he was making that play. Yeah. And, and Peterson was fired up. Yeah. And then he comes out in the, ni- in the ninth and shuts him down. And it helped that LSU, of course, tacked on two more runs. Yeah. LSU yeah. ended up going up 8-5. to five. Um, but Yeah. It, it, was a, it was a fun game. It was a, a nice back-and-forth game. And then uh, it sets up a really big showdown with Florida today. Uh, you're looking at RPI. And, of course, now everybody thinks that – this will certainly get LSU into a regional. They're up to where now? LSU's up to 40. I think they're good. Uh, no matter what happens today, I think they're good. 15 and 15 in the SEC. Uh, I don't like I like I've been saying. I don't think there's ever been a team, an SEC team that's won 15 conference games and not get into the tournament. So that bodes well for LSU now. If you want to look at Louisiana Tech. So the dogs didn't play, and they probably dropped a spot. Actually, they really? stayed put. So right. that's that's good news at this point. because Usually they just win and they lose spots. <laughs> exactly. They swept <laughs> and they dropped 10. But uh, Tech is still at 59. Yeah. So that is a, that is good to see. But, uh, yeah, they'll be fighting for their, their playoff hopes. Started today with Rice. And uh, I know, Aaron, you, you look at this Rice game, and you immediately think of, the history of rice and you just go man i don't like that first round draw mm-hmm. but that said going into this game with that said this is an owl squad that went uh, 24 29 and 2 mm-hmm. this year and just 12 and 15 and 2 in conference usa play they struggled big time in the first half of league play just winning one of their first five conference series as they're one five and one to get out of the starting gates and Louisiana Tech has to be feeling good about themselves coming off of a series win against Southern Miss and a sweep over Old Dominion. So, we'll see if Tech can carry that momentum to, into today and, and throughout this tournament. It's a darn question we continue to ask uh, Lane Burroughs. They're always pestering him about this darn resume that Louisiana Tech has, and it's pretty good. You look at the record, the Bulldogs 38-18 and 18 overall, 21-9 and nine in conference play. Uh, here's Lane on their resume and what still needs to be done. I know where we are, and if you don't win the tournament or don't make some noise, your probably season's probably over. I, I, you got to do whatever you got to do to win every game. Uh, it is what it is. I hate RPI. It's, it's for the Power Five, and I don't. That's a story for another day. And we took care of business, man. We, they put people in front of us, we beat them, and uh, that's all we can do is play the schedule we got. Um, but yeah, we got. I know what we're faced with. Our guys do, and. And we've been faced with that all year. It's us against the world, and uh, we got to win. We got to win Wednesday. If we don't, we got to win Thursday. And uh, I don't like putting our fate in other people's hands that I don't know. Uh, that's just kind of the way I am. I don't. I don't trust that process. And uh, uh, we got to make noise, man, and, and make and leave no doubt. Uh, and that's just the way I feel about it. Uh, I don't know where we are. I really don't care. I hadn't looked at our RPI. I don't look at it. Uh, but whatever we we got to do, whatever we got to do to win Wednesday, and if that doesn't happen for us, we got to do whatever we got to do to win Thursday. If that means uh, pitch four or five guys, that's what that means. Uh, and I think our guys will be ready. Jake, you can tell he's getting fired up. 
I think you and I look at the RPI enough for him and his whole staff. <laughs> we're always pulling it up. And it's going to suck. We come in here Monday, though, and we're discussing Louisiana Tech's RPI. And well, we won't be here Monday because of a holiday. Uh-huh. But the selection show on Monday, you know what I'm talking about. Hopefully it won't come to that. They just take care of business and want a conference championship. I do like what he said there, make noise and leave no doubt. Yeah. That's what it's all about this week. Uh, 38 wins this year. Now Lane Burroughs in his second year with 74 total victories. And, of course, this year the 21 victories in conference play, the most in program's history. So uh, the pesky press asked Lane earlier this week, what do you tell the kids? What do you tell your team going into this matchup or this conference tournament? What do you say? What's your message in the locker room? I've been doing this my six years as a head coach, and and I've been I've won SEC tournament as an assistant. I've won the Conference USA tournament as assistant. It's like there's no there's no magic formula. I mean, there's some of them where you don't say a word and you we're gonna win, and there's some that you you have to bring it every day, get them up, and it, teams are different. But one thing about this team, they don't seem to get sped up ever, and uh, they don't seem to back down. You know, we may go out there and not play well, but they always seem to bounce back the next day and. And get it done, and uh, you know, for the most part, I think they're they know what's in front of them. You can't hide anything from kids today. They, they, I mean, they had they they're a click away with seeing everything. So uh, it isn't like it's uh, the elephant in the room. They know, and uh, I will not bring it up. Our, our most one number one goal is to go win uh, uh, Wednesday, and that's all that matters. All right. So Wednesday, of course, that is today. They got Rice. We mentioned uh, the Owls how they struggled, and of course now they've uh, responded in a big way. What about the storyline with their uh, legendary coach, Wayne Graham, and the fact that uh, this is his last run at it? It's a compelling storyline because you got to think these players are going to go out and lay everything on their line. You want your coach to be remembered. You know, if this is his last game, which potentially it is, Rice is 99 in the RPI. They're not, you know, they have to, they're in the same boat as. Well, some would say they shouldn't have put him in this spot to begin with. I agree. I agree, but, uh, you know, this is the spot he's in regardless so they they need to go out there and you know it's it's a lot of pressure on those kids you're talking about a legacy there yeah. that they have to defend here's uh lane burrows on rice i like last year we we're all sitting here going when they're gonna make their run you know what's gonna happen when they decide to start playing uh they they could probably go toe-to-toe with anybody in the country and it, you know a lot of that starts on the mound they got good players good hitters and good young players um, it's impressive, you know, they, uh, Coach Graham, you know, they say he won't be coming back and uh, it's unfortunate, but you knew those guys would rally around him, start playing hard and, and uh, you know, it's, uh, he's been a, a, a legend and a giant in our game. So uh, I know they want to send him out in style for sure. All right, so uh, Coach was being a little coy with us yesterday. He did kind of tip his hand that he thought that they would go with uh, left-hander David Leal. That is the fact uh, they will go with the all-conference pitcher, 4-3 and three on the year, 2.03 ERA. Rice will counter with the right-hander, uh, Matt Quinterno. Uh He's 6-4 and four on the year, uh, 3.03 ERA. Way back on March 16th, Tech beat him, notching six runs, all earned on nine hits. He only lasted four innings. Uh, a couple of different players we mentioned, of course, uh, uh, the Bulldogs with eight players being recognized in all-conference honors. Uh, one of them being Taylor Young was uh, named all-freshman, put on the all-freshman team. We've watched him play for a couple of years now. First, most recently, was Louisiana Tech, but, of course, at West Monroe. Uh, unbelievable on the diamond. And, of course, his senior year, he goes out for football. And what an addition he was to the Rebels as a wide receiver. And a punt returner. Yeah. He's a great returner. And you forget against Washita, you remember he blocked that uh, field goal at the end of the half? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was a great special teams player, but he was a great receiver as well. Um, and I go back to, I think, the best play I saw him make. He was pitching, I can't remember what game it was. It was at West Monroe. And somebody tried to get the sacrifice squeeze. And it was a perfectly placed bunt. And Taylor Young, just as instinctive as ever, was able to run up, snatch it, and throw it to home and get the guy who was trying to to, to score on the play. And I think it was a it was either a big district game or a big playoff game, one or the other. But it was a huge play. It was a play of the game, and I thought it was one of the better plays I saw all year. Mm. Uh, he's stepped into this leadoff role now. He is what you would call an on-base machine, leads the team mm-hmm. with 41 walks. And his on-base percentage as a freshman 
is 478. Yeah, yeah. Moneyball, you think they would be drooling over him? I had an opportunity to fire off a couple questions to uh, Taylor Young. Here he is on adjusting on his adjustment to college baseball. When I first got here, you know, I figured it would be like more of the same type of stuff, but uh, it's a lot faster here in college. The game, the way the game is played, you know, coaches always talking about don't get too sped up. So you just got to try to slow the game down and, you know, take it pitch by pitch. At what point did you perhaps start feeling a little bit more comfortable at the plate or in the field? Uh, during the fall, we got a bunch of reps against our own own guys, so we got to face live pitching and you know stuff like that, live defense. So it, it kind of got me accustomed to the game. And for a guy that started his entire career, what was it like at the beginning of the year to kind of be on the bench? Uh, you know, it made me uh, take the game, uh, not take the game for granted, because you never know when it's going to be your last game. Uh, you just got to keep working hard every day, uh, like it's your last day. Is this kind of what you envisioned when you came to Louisiana Tech, win big series against nationally ranked teams and kind of see it how it all playing out? Oh, yeah. When I came on my visit uh, right before I committed here, uh, Coach Burroughs told me his plan for, for this team and, you know, this this community. So it's what I expected for sure. Uh, we just got to keep you rolling. Nothing rattles that kid. No. Hey, um, I just mentioned Moneyball. I, I know we're we're waiting till July, and we're we're hyping this thing up when we do our top ten sports movies. Is no, it's not on there. What? No. Moneyball doesn't make your top ten no, sports. That's movies. just millennials. That's a whole millennial. How, how how does that not make top ten, dude? That's a great movie. That's ahead of Rocky three. All right, Aaron. Rocky three is. It's good because it's like it's it's cartoonish though. Moneyball is more realistic. Mm. I like the more realistic sports movies. Mm. Rocky Three, there's a lot of entertainment value in there. Thunderlips for crying out loud. Uh, but Moneyball? Yeah, you're the major league guy. I do like major league. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I didn't like major league. Eight 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 nine nine three seven seven six two. The seven o'clock hour in the books coming up next. The future of ULM baseball. Michael Federico, the Warhawks head coach, joins us after the break. Thanks for listening to the best of the morning drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.